Turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 20. We're continuing our study through this book, and we're learning what it means to be people who seek after God's own heart. The key verse is 1 Samuel 13, 14, where the current king, Saul, is rejected by God as king because he's been unfaithful. And God tells Samuel the prophet, I have sought a man after my own heart. And of course, he's talking about David. But what we're learning as we go chapter by chapter through 1 Samuel is we too can learn about what it means in every arena of life to become people who seek after God's heart. And this morning, we're going to look at seeking after God's heart through friendship. We're at the section of 1 Samuel uh, 18, 19, and 20, where it focuses on this unique friendship between Jonathan and David. But you need to realize, even though in some ways their friendship was unique, in some ways it's not. The fact is, we were created for friendship. Friendship is actually eternal. Maybe wondering what I mean by that? What has existed forever? God, right? How has God existed forever? Not like how can something be eternal. How has God existed forever? As the triune God, the Father has forever loved and befriended the Son. The Son has forever loved and befriended the Spirit. And all those permutations of relational friendship, friendship is forever. Part of what it means to be created in the image of God is to be created as relational beings. God wants us to learn to know Him in part through gospel-centered friendships saturated with grace. There really is no such thing as the individual Christian life. There really is no such animal as the solo Christian. One of my favorite authors is a guy named Wendell Berry. Uh, Wendell Berry writes novels about the simple life. Maybe I love him so much because I don't have a simple life. But he writes, uh, sets his novels in rural Kentucky. And he talks about important things like, like place and people and friendship. Wendell Berry was walking with a friend uh, through Kentucky. And as they walked, they came upon this field of what are called Maximilian sunflowers. Now, many of us probably know sunflowers that are really big, a big blossom, and thick petals, and a really big iris, a really big center. Well, these aren't the, those kind of sunflowers. These sort of look more like daisies, and there's a bunch of them on a stalk, and uh, they have a lot more petals. They're sort of a lot finer, and, and they've got a real small center. And they noticed as they passed these Maximilian sunflowers that there was one sort of away from a patch of them, and it was really big. And you would assume by looking at it that it was really healthy. 
Upon closer inspection, Wendell Berry realized it was actually not healthy at all. It had grown so tall in isolation. It had become so bulky that the petals were thick and dried out. And the flowers were so heavy that it was actually bending the stalk and the whole thing was soon to break in half. You see, in a sense, that one sunflower was successful in its isolation to grow. But it failed in its deepest purpose, which is to grow in a community and to be a healthy plant that would provide seed for fruitfulness. Too many of God's people are like that isolated Maximilian sunflower. We forget that we have been created to be placed into a community and to need one another desperately. And that God wants to reveal himself to us and through us in deep friendship. In 1 Samuel 18, we learn that the heart of Jonathan was knit to the heart of David. And that Jonathan loved David as he loved his own soul. And then in 1 Samuel 19, we see that Saul, tormented by an evil spirit, is seeking to kill David. And Jonathan intercedes for David with his father, and David's relationship with Saul is restored. Here in 1 Samuel 20, we see how Jonathan in particular, but David as well, saturate their friendship with grace so that they reflect the heart of God toward one another. And through the friendship, they are both inspired to seek after God's own heart. As we go through the passage, as we go through the message, ask yourself, do I have a friend who reflects God to me? And am I a friend who reflects God to close people in my life? Let's all stand out of reverence for God. I'm going to not read the whole chapter. It's too long, but I'm going to read 1 through 4, 12 through 17, and 30 through 34. This is God's Word. First of all, 1 through 4. Then David fled from Nioth in Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is my guilt? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he, Jonathan, said to him, David, Far from it. In other words, that's not true. You shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It is not so. But David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives... There is but a step between me and death. 
Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. Now skip down to verse 12. And Jonathan said to David, the Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if he is well disposed toward David, shall I not then send and disclose it to you? But should it please my father to harm you, the Lord do so to Jonathan. And more also, if I do not disclose it to you and send you away, that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love for my house forever when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. And Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as his own soul. And now skip down to verse 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month. For he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. May God bless the hearing and teaching of his inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative word. This is God's word. He gave it because he loves us. And he wants us, in part, to experience his love through deep gospel-saturated friendships. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word that it covers so many bases. Lord, to think that you spend several chapters just showing us the friendship between Jonathan and David, that we might know the importance of living in community. So Holy Spirit, come and teach us. And Lord, if we don't have them, Grant us some deep friendships. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So the, the big picture here is God's will for your life. You're always wondering what God's will is, right? Well, I'm here to tell you one element of God's will. God's will for your life is for you to have deep and lasting friendships. You're to enter in to the eternal Friendship of the Trinity. And one of the ways you do that is by experiencing deep friendship with others. It is God's will that you experience the reflection of his love and presence through deep friendship. And it is God's will that you express God's heart to others through gospel-saturated friendships. So three ingredients that lead to gospel-saturated friendships. We're going to look at them one by one. First of all, seek to saturate friendships with safety. 
Okay, in, in chapter 19, just before uh, the text that we read, Saul tries to kill David four times. David then flees, verse 1, flees from where Saul is trying to kill him. And the text tells us in verse 1, he came to Jonathan. Biblical friendships offer safety. As a matter of fact, look at verse uh, 13. Uh, Jonathan promises that if Saul is truly trying to kill David, that Jonathan will send him off in safety. Deep, gospel-saturated friendships are to provide places of safety for us in times of danger, in times of pain, in times of suffering, in times of chaos. Think about this. What must Jonathan had reflected to David? That when David was at the end of himself, the end of his rope, he ran and fled and came to Jonathan. Jonathan must have been some kind of friend, especially considering that Jonathan is Saul's son. I mean, there'd be every reason in the book for David not to trust Jonathan. I mean, where are your loyalties going to lie? With your family or with a friend? Well, in many cases, it, it lay with family. And yet, Jonathan lived such a life before David in their friendship that David knew Jonathan was a safe person. Who are the safe per people in your lives? Do you have some that when the chips are down, when you're feeling uh, all kinds of the brokenness and fallenness of the world, you have someone you can flee to? Or, asked a different way, are you a safe person? Have you lived in such a way among certain friends that they know no matter what, no matter how crazy life gets, you can run to them. Now listen, we're not saying that friendships take the place of God. We all run to God or we're called to run to God. But neither must we become super spiritual and forget that God often reveals his heart and God often loves us through deep friendships. Jonathan is simply reflecting Jesus. Jesus in Matthew 11 said, Hey, all of you are weary and heavy burdened. Flee that and come to me. Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. There was something about Jonathan that in his friendship with David, in the midst of David's burdens, he knew he could run and come to Jonathan. Friendships are to provide safe havens for friendships. By the way, I just love that. Um, it made me think Greg was praying, and, uh, and there were groanings too deep for words. And I thought, man, what a beautiful picture. So, you know, I love you and I'm so thankful for your whole family. Um, and I hope all of us, I mean, this is, again, part of what, what it means to be a friend. Uh, are we going to be a safe place for our uh, children and adults with special needs? 
We want to be a safe place because God calls us to be safe friends. And then the second thing I want you to know about safety, uh, gospel friendships saturated with safety. David really opens up his life here. I mean, he's on the run. He thinks Saul's trying to kill him. But he opens up his life to Jonathan in verse 1 and says, have I done something? Is there guilt on my hands? Am I in sin? You see, so often when someone's treating us poorly, we just assume they're being a jerk. Well, what if you're the jerk? Do you have somebody in your life that's willing to tell you that? And that's basically what David's doing. Hey, is, is there sin in my life that I'm not aware of? Do you have people in your life that you can ask that, that you can invite in? David is inviting Jonathan in because he knows David's a safe person. And he knows that, that Jonathan loves him. And he knows that if there's sin in his life, he wants to know. And Jonathan will tell him. See, a friend isn't someone who always just tells us what we want to hear. A friend is someone who tells us what we need to hear, but speaks the truth in love. You see, safe friendships provide reality checks on our thoughts. Many of us think way too highly of our own thoughts. We need to have sounding boards. We can say, hey, I'm thinking this. What do you think? And we trust that they know the Lord and they know us and they know our circumstances in such a way that we can listen to them. And if they say, well, I think this is wrong on your part, we are able to receive what they say to us. Now, that was, that was David opening up his life vulnerably to Jonathan but you need to realize, Jonathan needs to open up his life to David. Because in verse 2, Jonathan's incredulous. Jonathan says, there's no way. You're, 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 you're whacked, David. My father's not trying to hurt you. I know everything my father thinks. He tells me everything. Do you think if he's coming after you, I wouldn't know that? And see, friends are willing to push back on each other. And so David pushes back says, Jonathan, you may not be seeing this right. Your father knows, verse 3, that you love me. And he's not going to tell you what he's up to, especially in this, because he doesn't want to grieve you. So now it's Jonathan's time for a reality check. And look at Jonathan's response in verse 4. What do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you want me to to do. You see, friendships that are saturated with the gospel are friendships of safety. They're places we can run, people we can go to when the world seems against us. But it's also a place for reality checks where someone pushes back on our wrong thinking, pushes back on our wrong behavior, pushes back on our assumptions yet does it all in love. 
Do you have that person? Are you that person? Saturate friendships with safety. Secondly, seek to saturate friendships with loving kindness. Now that's a big word and it's an old-fashioned word, but there isn't a better word. Three times in the short passage that I read, the author uses the Hebrew word chesed, which the King James translates as loving kindness, which the ESV, and that's a fine translation, wrote down as steadfast love. Now, here's what sort of my, one of my pet peeves with respect to translations. By the way, translations are really important. Uh, there is no translation that's just a translation. Every single translation committee has made all kinds of decisions about the translation. And in my mind, it would seem to me that if you're a Bible translator, if a word is translated by you this way in one verse, and the same word is used in another verse, well, doggone, it's the same word. Use the same word. They didn't do that. Okay? And so you don't know that it's used three times. So in verse 8, it's in your Bibles, but we didn't read it. In verse 8, David says to Jonathan, deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into covenant with you. David asked Jonathan, Jonathan to deal kindly with him. That's the word hesed. In verse 14 and 15, it's translated as steadfast love. In the Psalms, it's steadfast love. Or in the King James, it's loving kindness. So what is this loving kindness? What is this steadfast love? Well, it does mean to deal kindly, but it means to deal kindly out of loyal, faithful, unconditional love. See, David is saying to Jonathan, show me the steadfast, faithful, kindness, mercy, and favor of the Lord. Reflect it to me through you. Now, you need to realize what David was asking Jonathan to do. Who's king right now? Saul. Who is the heir to the throne? Jonathan. Who's supposedly going to be king? David. David is saying, deal kindly with me. If, if Jonathan deals kindly with David, there's a sense in which he's dealing harshly with himself. Because Saul, what he says later, we're going to get to in a few moments, Saul is right. If the son of Jesse lives... Jonathan is cutting himself off from the throne. If David, the son of Jesse, lives, Jonathan will never have a kingdom. He'll never have the power. He'll never have the riches. So David is saying to Jonathan, reflect to me the loving, loyal favor of God. And it will cost you. Do you have a friend that you know is so committed to your flourishing that you've even seen them sacrifice in order to see you receive favor? Or in your friendships, are you that person willing to give up things for yourself in order to flourish another? But then the tables turn. 
And in verses 14 and 15, Jonathan asked David to do the same thing. See, that, that's what's missed in, in verse 8, 14, and 15. It's the same word. David says, deal kindly. Well, then they should have said, they should have had Jonathan ask David, deal kindly. It's the same word. It's hesed. It's loving kindness. It's that steadfast, loyal kindness that unconditionally loves another and wants that person to flourish. Now, again, remember, this is God's loving kindness they're reflecting. Do you realize God wants to be that for you? Do you realize the God of the universe through the blood of the covenant, is committed to being your friend in Christ and that he longs to be loyal and faithful and to shower you with kindness. The 23rd Psalm, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Same word, only this time it's translated mercy. Can they make up their minds? Well, actually they can't because to their defense, it is such a rich word. But surely goodness and mercy will follow me. That word mercy is the same word hesed. So you got kindness, you got mercy, you got steadfast love. The point is, that is God's heart toward you. And we have a hard time experiencing that. So God sends friends into our lives to reflect that. So the, the experience of God's loving kindness might be more existential, might be more visceral. We might actually taste it and touch it and smell it and hear it and see it with our senses. I've told you many times, you know, here I am up here week after week and I, uh, and I, I try to leave it all on the field. I, tr I do my best to passionately teach you the gospel of God's amazing grace. And the beautiful response that you all have so often. You, you, you'll email me, you'll text me, you'll, you'll call me, you'll stop me in the hall and you'll say, you know, God's grace is changing my life. I've never sensed God's love for me in a deeper, more personal, intimate way. And I rejoice. But what have I shared with you all over the years? This preacher of grace struggles with the experience of grace. Like, I know God's my friend. I know he loves me. I know rationally everything I just told you about loving kindness is true. I just don't always experience it. Matter of fact, in some ways, I think I might experience it less than most of y'all. But you know what God's given me? Deep friends. On Sunday nights after the newcomer group, uh, I often meet with uh, three other men. Uh, we've known each other for almost 30 years, and um, we went through the first battle for the heart process over 14 years ago. That's part of our discipleship process and um, that with the gospel waltz uh, constitutes what we bring people through in order to, to help them grow in Christ. And uh, I was in this battle for your heart uh, group with these men and, and we just started meeting. We've been meeting every Sunday night if, as our schedules permit for over 15 years now. 
And uh, we've walked through everything, crisis. We've walked through trial with our children, uh, some in our marriages, um, vocation, transition, health, you name it, we've walked through it, literally. And in that group, as we open up our transparent, because it's a safe group, and as the brothers respond to each other, we experience a reflection of God's loving kindness. And I will tell you that I've experienced what I read in Scripture more through them than I have when I'm sitting with God in a time of prayer or sitting with God in a time of reading His Word. See, I've always believed the truth, but I experience the truth when I'm with those men and others. And of course, in our marriages, right? Of course, I experienced that with Laurie. It's the blessing of marriage. But God's not talking about marriage here. You realize that, right? We're not to forget about marriage, but he's not talking about marriage here. He's talking about a healthy, biblical, intimate friendship. A man with a man and a woman with a woman. If you're married, fantastic. That's your best friend, I hope. But regardless whether they're married or not, God here is talking about friendships between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. And in those friendships, God is able to reveal his loving kindness to you. Do you have those kinds of friendships? You, you will not experience all that God means you to experience of his love and mercy and grace and desire to flourish you apart from deep, biblical, intimate friendships with people of your same gender. That's just part of gospel-saturated friendships. So, seek to saturate friendships with safety. Seek to saturate friendships with loving kindness. Thirdly and finally, seek to saturate friendships with humility. The amount of humility that is in this passage is unreal. When, when David asks Jonathan to deal kindly, I told you what he's asking. He, he, he's asking Jonathan to give up the throne. When Jonathan, in verses 14 and 15, asked David to show him loving kindness, he's asking David to go against all protocol when there's a change in regime. Do you know what the protocol was when there was a change in regime? Scorched earth. You purged everybody related to the previous administration because that's where traitors come from. You want to make sure there's nothing left from that old administration. So Jonathan humbles himself by giving up the throne for David. David is asked to humble himself to not kill Jonathan, which is cultural practice, and to make sure Jonathan's household survives. That is against everything related to good politics. And then, in verse 4, 
Jonathan, who's still not convinced that Saul is after him. This is before the plan is carried out. In humility, he's willing to be convinced. See, friends actually hear each other out. Friends push back, hear each other out, and are willing to disagree and keep the friendship going. So Jonathan says, in in humility, okay, I still don't think you're right, David, but whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Do you have friendships like that? You know what's just saddened me so much over the last five or six years? The break in Christian relationships through areas of divisive issues. Political, scientific, racial. How we apply the ethics of sexuality. And and I've just been astounded at how many people, when they realize they think differently than another, out the door. I mean, end of friendship, I'm out of here. Where's the humility in that? Where's the humility, first of all, to say, I could be wrong? Where's the humility in relationship that says, he or she could be right? Where's the humility in the relationship that says, even if they are wrong, who am I? I'm wrong all the time, and Jesus never deserts me as a friend. Where's that humility in our friendships? You will never have a deep and lasting friendship without humility. I promise you. It will not last. It will not grow. It will not deepen. Gospel-saturated friendships need to be saturated with humility. And then we get a picture into just how much humility Jonathan shows in verses 30 to 34. When he tries to discern, according to David's plan, what Saul's heart is toward David. And the plan reveals that sure enough, Saul wants to kill David. And so when Jonathan pushes back on his father, look what it says. In verse 30, Saul's anger was kindled toward Jonathan. Jonathan was willing to humble himself that David might be exalted. And and Saul recognizes that. Verse 30, you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame. The, The father now, Saul, is trying to shame Jonathan for choosing David as a friend. And Jonathan is willing to endure it in humility for the sake of his friend. And then Saul calls his son all kinds of names. He doesn't even address his son as his son. He doesn't even address his son as his son's name, Jonathan. He says, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman to the shame of your mother's nakedness. You're an embarrassment to me. You're an embarrassment to your mother. But Jonathan is willing to humble himself. He's willing to take the low, humiliated place in order that David might be exalted. You see, that's what friendships do. Friendships model Jesus, who though he was equal with God, did not regard equality with God something to be clutched onto, 
But he emptied himself, took the form of a servant, and became obedient, even obedient unto death. And Paul says that's the mindset we're to have. Jesus said in John 15, greater love has no one than this, than they laid down their life for their friends, the ultimate act of humility. Do you have people in your life that you're convinced if they had the opportunity, they would lay their life down for you? And are you that person in someone else's life? Let me tell you, I believe that God's desire and longing is for every one of us to have at least one friendship like that where there's such humility that we do count the interest of that other person as more important than our own. And then... Saul says the obvious, as long as the son of Jesse lives, verse 31, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Saul's trying to appeal to to Jonathan's self-interest, self-preservation. By the way, the flesh and the enemy will do that in your friendships. The flesh, the sinful flesh, and the enemy, the devil, will seek to sabotage your deepest friendships by seeking to get you to look out for your own interests in self-preservation, self-protection. And Jonathan, though, pushes back and said, why should he be put to death, Dad? What has he done, Dad? And guess what Jonathan got for asking that question? His own father, verse 33, hurls a spear at him and tries to kill him. Again, John 15, greater love has no person than this, than he or she lay down their lives for their friends. But Jesus did that. Jonathan was willing to do that. Jesus did that. Jesus is the newer and better Jonathan. Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, but friends. Jesus really is your truest and best and kindest and most loyal and most loving friend. But guess what? That's so hard for us to experience. So God has ordained friends in our lives that might reflect all that Jesus is as our truest and best friend. You know, I talked about sunflowers to begin our time with Wendell Berry. Something that uh, you may not know about sunflowers is you may think they're called sunflowers because they look like a sun, right? Especially the ones that aren't Maximilian, the ones that are really big and bulky and have a really big iris, really big center, and they look like the sun. Guess what? That's not why they're called sunflowers. They're called sunflowers because in the morning, as the sun rises to the east, sunflowers all turn east. And then throughout the day, as the sun moves, the head of the sunflower moves to always face the sun. That's why they're called sunflowers. Did you know that? See, you got that for free. (laughs) Except for the oldest sunflowers. Oldest sunflowers that are ready to, to bear seed and be fruitful. 
They face east in the morning for the sunrise, and they never turn. They just keep facing east all the time. It's like they're anticipating the next sunrise. It's like they live looking forward to a new day. And if you have a deep, gospel-saturated friendship, that's the impact it'll have on you. You'll always face the sun, S-O-N. And the older you get in that friendship, the more you'll be anticipating every new day in Christ. And the more that that friendship deepens in the gospel, the more you'll be pointed to a new and better day. And that's what Jesus gives us, our friend. He gives us this table. And he says we're to remember him. And we're to remember that this is a foretaste of the anticipated day. When we will eat of this feast with no more sin, no more crying, no more shame, no more pain, no more suffering. We will eat of this feast with our friend Jesus in the new Jerusalem. The night on which Christ was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Then after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Poured out for the remission of sins of many. Drink from it, all of you. And give thanks. Now at Oak Mountain, we believe that this bread remains bread and the fruit of the vine remains the fruit of the vine. But we also believe that by God's grace and spirit, there is a mystery of Christ's presence to uniquely favor his friends with flourishing. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this meal that you have provided in Christ. God, we acknowledge that the bread remains bread, the fruit of the vine remains the fruit of the vine, and yet you have promised to strengthen our union with Christ through this sacrament. And so we pray we'd come repenting our, of our sins, knowing that you're safe, and we would come looking to you to change us because you're good and powerful. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.